Greetings ladies and metal gents and welcome to this narration of the web series The Survivor Becomes a Dungeon. If you are new to the series there is a playlist listed in the description. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 13. Vutmori Point of View. Well then, while Zassiter is off down the mountain, gather around Ururu, Basti and Cubs, it's time to welcome a new member to our team. I'd look upon the small burr with intrigue, taking the time to examine. Zaster called it a sparrow, and it does look remarkably like one. Convergent evolution, perhaps. Odd, regardless. It's time to bring it back. I decided to ensure that it was on par with the other animals on my team and committed the other ring of manor to him. Wake up and serve me. I name you Jack, and you shall be my scout, survey my territory, and be my eyes. With that, chunks of mana begin to pour into the bird while I commit the rest of the dense ring to him. Jack's wounds heal, and his body grows and develops until he's about the size of a raven. His mana heart ignites before a single ring spirals and forms around the little thing. Suddenly, he stirs, flapping his wings and flipping around onto his feet as he looks around curiously. One of his brown eyes becomes emerald green, while a ring of the same color forms against his body under the left wing. Welcome back to the land of living, Jack. As I've said, you shall serve as my scout for my territory. Fly around and keep an eye on things. Get my attention for things you need me to see, and do as you see fit for anything else. Oh, and, and do be mindful. There is a community of people here in my care. Observe and protect them while you're at it. Jack looks up at my core and flaps his wings once before saluting with the right wing. Aye, aye, he says before fluttering away. He, he just spoke, didn't he? Cinco, Rabbitkin, Huntsman, point of view. The Elder has been up on that mountain for a long time. I hope things are all right. The brown and black bird Rabbitkin, man considered internally setting up snares and traps that were marked with scraps of blue cloth and sticks to prevent accidents. His gaze frequently turned towards the largest mountain in the range that borders the forest. He stands tall, dusting off his dirt-coated palms on his legs. With a stretch, his cotton ball tail blinks, and his fluffy rabbit ears wiggle a moment before he relaxes. Taking a moment to collect his bow and quiver, he slung them securely onto his back and started heading for camp. However, he looked up once again and spotted movement, and flashed a bit of a smile. Ah, the elder must be on his way down. Making his way over, his confusion begins to mount as he watches a copper-scaled lizardkin approach on the way down from the mountain. Uh, wait a minute, who, who are you? They looked familiar, but it couldn't possibly be him. Zassiter grins, flashing a complete set of shiny white teeth. Good afternoon, Cinco. It's me, Zassiter. Surprise, right? But Mori has appointed me as one of his vassals, and I am now the shepherd, Zassiter. And all this, he starts to say while gesturing at his well-developed body, is the work of Mori. I feel as good as I did in my thirties, and even then, I was never this well-built. I'm proud to say that I probably have a long life ahead of me now. He enthused proudly, patting the confused Rabbitkin's shoulder. Surprised is an understatement, Elder. Um, I mean, uh, Shepherd? He corrected himself. If that was his new title, and this was the result of being dubbed as such, he wasn't about to get it wrong. 
Isak point of view. Human teen, god apprentice. Should I stay, or should I go? It's not like I can go back to the theocracy, and the Empire is so far away. Besides, it's not like I'm going to leave Miriam behind, and she doesn't seem to be thinking about leaving at all. I guess I'll make the best of things here for the time being. Isak was deep in thought, honing the edge of his new short sword with a strip of leather after having sharpened it earlier. He was so deep in thought that he didn't realize the Lizardkin Elder had returned from visiting with Mori, that dungeon core whose territory this happens to be. It wasn't until he felt the ground shudder that he looked up, seeing the built and copper-scaled Lizardkin in ill-fitting rags holding his hands out as trees vanished while forming a good-sized clearing. He stood and made his way over curiously, sheathing his blade as he stood off to the side, watching the forming crowd more than anything. He spots Vertissa, the grey-scaled Lizardkin hopeless, with purple eyes, and Xanatul, the blue-scaled Lizardkin godswoman with yellow eyes, watching the copper-scaled Lizardman with some kind of intent. More movement catches his attention as the ground seemingly levels out and flattens before them. The dirt and foliage almost melt away before the frame of a large, practically oval-shaped building is formed. The copper scale now looks tired as he flashes a big grin. This is the beginning of what Vimori calls a longhouse. Over the next few days, he'll be building this for us. Though things will go a lot more easier if we cut more trees for him and bring them over here to the site. It will be a communal building for us to get out of the elements. From here, we can safely begin our work to build up the rest of the haven with assistance if we need it, the copper scale explained. Excuse me, I have a question, if you don't mind. Woody spoke up, a beaverkin man accompanied by his twig. He had raised his hand to get everyone's attention. Who are you? he asked, addressing the copper scale, who only smiled. Though before he could speak up, Cinco spoke up to answer. This is Elder Zazeter, he started to say, much to the surprise of the rest of the community, who murmured amongst each other when Cinco continued. I watched him descend to the mountain myself, without a doubt. This is Zazeter. Zazeter grins as he looks over the group, his young eyes vibrant as his bronze and emerald gaze meets everyone else's, much to the excited but quiet murmurs between Xanatul and Vertisa. But Mori has selected me as his representative here and titled me a shepherd. He hopes that together we can work to free others condemned to slavery as they pass through with future caravans. But to do that, we must first take care of ourselves. So let's get to work, people. Lassiter clapped his now powerful hands together, which gave off a strong sound. Suitably motivated, they break and go back to what they were doing. End of chapter. Chapter 14. Jack Point of View. The wind, the air, the sky, everything has had a fresh new taste and feeling ever since he woke up in the service of Vidmori. He darted around trees and branches with even more speed and control than he ever could as an ordinary bird. And he already knew the first thing he would do. His heart pulsed. His wings reverberated with power as each flap sent him forward. Escaping the tree line with a growing velocity, he manipulates the wind around him as he soars higher and higher into the sky before bringing his wings in tight. 
He shut his eyes, feeling the weightlessness take hold as he stopped rising and began falling. The air whooshed through his feathers and against his body before opening his wings at the second-to-last moment, propelling himself forward mere inches away from the ground. With another flap, he slows to a stop, steadying himself to touch down on a mossy log of a long fallen tree. But as he lands, one of his clawed feet breaks through the hole hidden under the moss. Now he's tumbling forward, flapping his wings wildly before landing in the grass and dirt with an oof. Now on his back, he looks up at the cloudy sky above him, letting out a low whistle before chuckling to himself in delight. Yeah, I'm so big now. But I know that the world is a bigger place. He shifts around, flapping his wings before hopping on his feet as he looks around and examines himself in the sunlight. With a body like this, I could fly for days. <laughs> Amazing! He lets out another tweeting whistle, pacing around as he gets the feel for his somewhat longer and stronger legs. The forest is under my protection from Bitmori, and it's under the protection of me, Jack the Sparrow! He whistles with approval, enjoying the sound of his voice. He looked around, hopping and swaying a little from side to side. Even though I'm a big bird now, I won't be able to protect everything myself. But what I need is a team, a crew of other scouts who can work for me while I work for Bidmori. Yes, that's what I can do, yes. His gaze darkens as he looks to the ground his left wing flapping in an unconscious twitching reflex as his thoughts zip around his now much larger brain. But once I have a crew, I'll go after the defilers who took the ever-tree from the rest of us. Gosh, how could I have forgotten that? He looks to the sky, a newly rediscovered resolve having been found thanks to the improvements by Vitmori. Your days are numbered, you greedy bastards. With a flap of his wings, he again took to the skies. The next morning, August, Og, young dwarf girl, point of view. Breakfast was berries and other fruits with some tasty bird meat and herbs. Young Og wished for some sweet pancakes with honey or syrup, but she was a good girl who knew not to complain and be thankful for what she got. Mama was making new clothes with Miriam for the group using the canvas of the extra tents and the wagons. And while Org would usually be a good little assistant, today Mama wanted to have some quiet time while she worked. Today Org was meeting up with some other kids. Apparently Woody and Vertissa were organizing a group to head out to the river one of the huntsmen found yesterday. Woody was going to teach them how to make fish traps, while Vertissa was going to show them some veggies that grow by the water as well as herbs for medicine and cooking. Og, for one, was really excited to get out into the camp for a trip. After getting permission from her mama, she went to join the group. She smiled at Twig, who smiled back at the young girl. Soon enough, his son also joined the group as a sort of guard. He was friendly too. He made lots of angry faces, but was quick to smile when approached. The walk through the woods was uneventful. The birdies were singing, and the sun was shining. On days like these, it was also great to go for a walk. One of the beastkin girls began singing a walking song, and soon most of the other kids were singing too. 
Og wasn't very good at singer, though, and didn't talk much anyway. But that doesn't mean that she didn't have fun listening and skipping along. Just before Og's feet could start to hurt from all the walking, since it was a little harder for her to keep up due to her stubby legs, they had finally reached the riverside. It was so big, too, far bigger than she could ever jump. The kids started to scatter a bit, but soon they were divided into two groups. The kids who wanted to learn to make fishing traps with Woody, and the kids who wanted to know about herbs with Vertisa. Org went over with Woody, being good with her hands as they folded and tied sticks together with grasses to make a simple trap. It was a pretty fun for Org. It almost reminded her of making baskets or even knitting, in a way. Twig had even complimented her on her trap, which got her all bashful, since she didn't feel that it was nearly as good as Woody's. Now they go over to the water and begin to install some of the traps. Though Woody gets distracted when he finds something called water cucumbers. He was really excited about a bunch of cattails he saw too, saying something about making bread with it, which Org was excited about. After her trap was installed and Woody was installing the traps the other kids had made, Org couldn't help but go to the water. Smiling cheerfully, splashing around by herself, she didn't even realize the mud was crumbling away under her feet. And suddenly, she slipped further into the water with a nearly quiet yelp. Help me, is all she can think as she washed away by the deceptively strong current. Chapter 15 Org Point of View It, it hurts. I can't see. Help. Org can't swim all too well, but even if she could, the undercurrent of the water is much too strong. Things were starting to go fuzzy. But just as her eyes began to close, she saw a shape enter the water above her. But it all went blank before she could see more. Jack point of view. It had been a quiet, busy night, finding and meeting his crew throughout the night. But he's confident he's cast a wide net. He already knew most of the birds from his life as a regular bird. But now he had a purpose for them and himself. With a manner given to him by Bidmore, he imbued the cure's influence into about 20 birds. While they weren't too different from ordinary birds, they were more intelligent and stronger than the average bird. Though, in giving them manner, Jack became more powerful as their captain. From what he observed from the kills his crew managed to score, the individuals got a portion of the vital manner from the kill. From there, he gets a share of the energy, and the rest gets sent to Woodmory. So after getting his crew established, Jack managed to get all the manner he expended to recruit them back thanks to their efforts. This morning, he was enjoying some fresh tea nuts. He managed to crack all on his own, enjoying the fruits of his labor within the hard shell, when he suddenly was interrupted by a harsh landing of one of his crew boats. Captain, travel over by the river, squawked the gib, a scruffy and pump-looking owl who was already rather intelligent before being imbued with Jack's manor. Jack let out a low whistling sigh as he peered over the edge of the branch to look at his nut which had now fallen into the tall grass and leaves at the base of the tree. Shaking his head, he looked over to Ghibli and tilted his head a bit. Oh, is it Ghibli? Speak up. Ghibli, however, was panting and out of breath as he tried to get his message across. Trouble, river, small, two-legged two thing fell in. Uh, it, it hasn't come up again. Swan is there, but uh, the thing is too, too heavy. 
he finally managed to squawk out. Jack didn't bother with the response, wrapping his wings with such force thanks to manipulating the wind around him that the trees shook, knocking down every more nuts as Ghibli took off after Jack at a slower pace, already planting with each flower. This was precisely what Woodmore told him to keep an eye out for, and he wasn't about to fail on his first day. Within seconds he arrived at the river, not seeing Swan right away. He sped up along the current of the water. Soon enough, he heard the sound of his crewbird Swan calling out to him, Captain, down here, it isn't moving anymore. Swan yonked up at him. Hi, Jack calls down in confirmation as he pivots in the air before diving into the water. Swimming through it with practiced ease while he manipulates the currents to close the distance when he spots the little girl. His claws grab the collar of her tunic, extending his wings with the air current spiraling around him before launching out of the water. He quickly manages to get to the riverside before continuing to use his wind manipulate to pull the girl out of the water. Swan coming over and pitching in as she contributes both her manner and her bigger physical form. Once the girl is out of the water, Jack hopped onto her chest, looking her over, before leaning and placing his head against the chest. She's not breathing. He must have water in her. What can you do about it? Honked Swan, looking from the thing with two legs to Jack with concern. Thinking quickly, he reaches out with his manner to pull the water out of the girl. Surprisingly, he finds that she's mostly made of water, though he does find two places where air and water were mixed and decides to grab that. With a ruffle of his feathers, he manipulates the river water as it comes out of her throat and mouth. When most of it is out of her, Org suddenly began coughing, taking huge and desperate breaths. Startling Jack and Swan as Jack flitted off the girl and would touch back down beside her. Org soon began to cry from the pain of coughing and the frightening experience, though she would be fine now. She wasn't even aware of Jack and Swan yet, just lying pathetically on his side, says she just breathed. Will be fine now? Swan Hyongs softly to Jack, her webbed feet shuffling in an anxious pitter-patter. Yeah, I should be fine now, Jack replied, watching the girl before looking at Swan. Well, you can go now. Good work, Swan. Ah, thank you, Captain. See you later, she yonked, cheerfully enough before flapping her wings and flying back to upriver. Turning his focus back on the girl, he tweets and whistles at her to get her attention. Hey, girlie, how are you doing? Are you uh, anywhere? Org, for her part, managed to steady her breathing, but she was still whimpering with distress when Jack spoke to her. She looked around for a source of the voice, but when she didn't see a person, she only looked more confused and distressed. Out here, Jack is Sparrow at your service, he said with a cheery whistle, lowering his head to the girl with the wing to his chest and another wing outstretched. Standing upright again with a flutter of his wings, he continues to speak. Took a little spill and a drink there. Are you okay? He asked, speaking in a more gentle tone. Org was genuinely spooked when she saw Jack talking to her, but calmed down more now that she was sufficiently distracted from the trauma that she just went through. Thinking about what he said, she nods, feeling pretty okay now. She was shivering considerably, though, while she got to her feet. Poor thing, let's get you dry, Jack offers picking up on the fact that she is cold as he uses a combination of water and wind magic to pull the excess from her clothes and hair before blow-drying her. Org was surprised and almost enthusiastic as magic rippled around her, 
letting out a cheerful giggle. <laughs> Thank you, buddy, she says in an incredibly soft and gentle voice. Jack flutters his wings happily before hopping up onto his shoulder. You're welcome, Kyo, but my name is Jack. I'm sure you'll hear a lot about me going forward. He enthused charmingly with a whistle. She smiled warmly at the bird before speaking again. Jackie. Jack let out a low whistling sigh before smiling. Fine, you can call me Jackie. Let's get you home. He said as he flapped his wings and began guiding her while reaching out to Mori. End of chapter. Chapter 16. Unknown point of view. I wake up, start, my head now aching from the sudden impact against the wooden beam above me. Back! I managed to say quietly, massaging my forehead with a soft sigh. I had forgotten I crawled into a narrow attic of a garage to sleep the night away. Taking a few seconds to collect myself, I reach into my pack, taking a sip from my trusty canteen. I also take a moment to scarf down some dried meat before gathering. With my intentionally few things gathered, I scoot over to the hole that had led up into the garage attic and peeked down. From what I can tell, the sun is starting to rise and the garage is pretty much empty. However, I do notice a stain coming from outside, like something crawled under the cracked open garage shutters and moved further to the house. With a sigh, I grabbed a wrench I had snagged the night before and huck it down against the concrete floor, which caused it to clatter noisily. Ducking back away from the hole in the roof, I hear a snarling and clattering coming from within the house. The thumps of running feet sound out as one of the brainless come to track down the offended noise. Soon, it's in the garage, slowing down and taking measured steps. Its wheezing breath struggles to fill its lungs as its teeth chatter, snarl. Leaving my pack behind, I crawl forward into a kneading bowl by the hole down into the garage. With careful movements, I grab the edge of the hole and begin crawling out, moving slowly as I rely on my upper body strength to lower myself down before dropping the rest of the way to the ground almost silently. The zombie hasn't taken notice, still snarling as it slowly creeps forward, hunting for me in all the wrong places. Reaching down to my right thigh, I silently draw my trench knife, my fingers sliding into the knuckle guards with practiced ease as I close the distance of the zombie in a low, crouched stance. My body is nearly a blur as I lunge forward another three steps and swing up, plunging the blade in the back of the skull before twisting it and drawing back as the body crumpled in a heap. I let out a breath I didn't realize I was holding and sighed softly. Looking around and using a filthy rag to wipe the gore off the blade before sheathing it. Going back over to the hole of the garage roof, I get a short running start before hopping up and grabbing the hole. But I only reach in and grab my pack before dropping down. I don't put it on just yet. Walking over to the garage shutters, I drop my pack as I kick it past them and step back. After a good seconds of nothing reacting, I drop to my stomach and crawl forward from under the shutters, now being greeted by the orange glow of the horizon. I take a deep breath of the crisp morning air before taking up my pack. Looking around to get my bearings, I spotted a set of smokestacks on the horizon in the same area I spotted them yesterday. Hopefully, these folks are willing to cooperate. 
I say to nobody in particular. It's a bad habit that developed after so many scouting trips alone, but it helps me keep track of my thoughts. So screw it. Just like yesterday, I sling my pack back on and move forward, one foot after the other. But Maury, point of view. Yeah, hey, hey Bosh, can you hear me? Huh? Oh jeez, I must have spaced out. Yeah, I can hear you, Jack. What's up? Honestly, it was a bit of a trip to think that one of my animals could talk. I can't help but wonder if the others can as well. If they can, why haven't they? And if they can't, why not? Sorry if I'm interrupting something, Bosh, uh, but my crew and I just fished a little girl out of the river. Uh, while she's handling it well, uh, she went really far away from the others, and she's got stubby legs, so... Uh, what I mean to say is, uh, we're not making much progress. A uh, little girl? Oh, shit. Good work, Jack. I don't know how you managed it, but you did great. I'll send Basti your way to help you get her back to the others. Well, what do you know? The very bird they offered to me turned around and saved one of theirs in return. I looked down at Basti, who lounged on the steps to my pedestal while Ururu was out and about hunting and stretching his new muscles. Basti, uh, I need you to go and meet up with Jack. He's currently escorting a little girl who apparently fell into the river. Uh, make sure she gets home safe. Basti's ears perk at the mention of a little girl, feeling a sense of motherly concern as she doesn't even bother stretching before making her way through the door to my chamber. With her heading out, I decide to check on the cubs, as they seem to be napping as well. Huh. Where's the little black bird cub? Org point of view. Org had a bit of a scary day, though thankfully she has Jackie with her. He's a magic birdie that saved her from the water, and Hanau has helping her home. But right now, her feet are starting to hurt, so she's going to sit for a bit. Finding a lovely tree, she goes and sits at the base of it, enjoying the shade as she looks up to the clouds while imagining the shapes that they're making. Joe, girly, uh, you're tired, uh. I would be too if I had to walk everywhere. Jack commiserates with her, letting out a chirp of understanding as he flips off his shoulder and lands on the dirt. Ork smiles at Jackie as she reaches out and pats his head gently. Hey now, girly, watch the feathers. They're going to mess them up. He complains with mock annoyance, but doesn't move. Um, you might be hungry and even thirsty now that I consider it. Looking around, he lets out a high-pitched whistle, and soon there's a rush of activity as the nearest six crewbirds rush to answer the call. Even Ghibli responds as he clumsily lands on a branch. It seems he hasn't quite recovered from earlier. Captain reporting in, the cacophony of chirps, tweets, and squawks sound out as they look attentively down at Jack. All right, you lot. Time for you to do something for someone else. Bring me some juicy fruits for the girl here, and be sure nothing poisonous. He ordered, and he looked among them. Hi, Captain. The bird sounded out before flitting off in different directions. Giving a satisfied nod, he looks back towards Org and tweets cheerfully. There we go. Don't worry, girlie. You'll be just fine. Org nods, reaching out and patting Jackie's head feathers, eliciting another whistle sigh from him. But he just lets it happen. Before long, the birds return with all sorts of fruits that Org recognizes and doesn't. She begins to eat, enjoying the treats as she quietly hums to herself. Soon after finishing up, her face and hands are all messy now as Jack expands a little more manner, 
to manipulate some water magic carefully. Letting her drink from the sphere, he manipulates before her and then washing her face and hands. There you go, Gertie. All better now. Jack asks as he casually tosses the sphere of water away, letting it smack against a tree as it dissipates like a water balloon. Org nods eagerly, giving a confident smile as she gets to her feet. Jack flitted up onto her shoulder as she begins to walk again. Though she doesn't get far when she comes face to face with a giant cat. Looking at a deep ebony beast, she offers a smile as she reaches up and pats her head. Cat, she says simply enough before giggling cheerfully. Basti, for one, is taken back by the girl's reaction, but isn't unhappy about it as she gently headbutts the girl to show her affection. Though that's when Org squeals with delight as she spots the little black furred cat leaving the big cat shadow. He was in awe at all the new colors and smiles, looking up and around before immediately blinding himself with the sun as he hissed to himself. However, he jumps when he hears a squeal and is suddenly scooped up. Too stunned to even think about lashing out. Kitty! She gushed, picking up the cub that was about half her size with apparent ease. Jack looks over at Basti, who seems surprised by her tag-along, and chuckles at her expense. Looks like your cub got a drop on you, he teased mischievously, flitting away from Basti's half-hearted attempt to swipe at him before lying down. Looking over at Org, Jack speaks up. All right, girly, get on Basti, uh... And, uh, let's get you home. Org, for her part, was still hugging the stupefied cub, who had never been handled this way. Looking over at Jack, she grins cheerfully. Okay, Jackie, she gushed, climbing up while still holding the cub, using one hand to grab Basti's back while the big cat stands and adjusts to having a rider. Though Basti couldn't help but smirk down at Jack upon hearing his nickname and chuffs in amusement. Hey! I told her my name. It's not my fault she keeps getting it wrong. He chirped defensively as he flapped his wings to take flight. All the while, Basti followed after him at a careful pace. End of chapter. Zacita point of view. These clothes you have crafted feel excellent. Wonderful work, you two. Zacita enthused charmingly, admiring his new canvas shirt and pants as he praised Sylvia the dwarf armorer who dabbles in tailoring, and Miriam, the human teen. She apprenticed as a tailor before ending up the situation. He was twisting side to side, and flexing his defiant arms to test how maneuverable the stitching allowed him to be. Sylvia even went so far as to prepare him a leather vest made of the skin of the white-furred deer that had been hunted yesterday. He was undoubtedly cutting a dignified look now that he was out of those ill-fitting rags. Sylvia chuckled softly as she watched the now younger man test her handiwork. I'm glad you like it, Shepard. Since yours turned out well, I think we can start handing out the rest of the clothes that we have already finished before continuing on to the next batch. Miriam smiles as she nods along, rolling her wrist as she contemplates the upcoming work. Honestly, I'm just glad most of our little community are beastkin. We don't have to make as many pairs of shoes or boots, thanks to that. Zassiter chuckled heartily at that, lifting his clawed foot and rolling it around the new flexibility at an ankle and knee. I suppose it is one of the many blessings that we can be thankful for, despite our circumstances. He mused as he set his foot down. However, he soon adopts a faraway look and kind of glances over at the mountain where Vitmori resides. Sylvia 
had already settled down on a log that had been fashioned as sort of a bench before glancing up at Zassiter. Is something the matter, Shepard? She asked curiously, before glancing back down at the shirt that she was working on, for Org in particular. Miriam watched the lizardkin curiously as she settled down beside Sylvia to start on a pair of pants for Isak. Zassiter was silent for a few more moments before shaking his head as he settled down and sat cross-legged and extinguished the fire pit. It's nothing, I think, he said. His brow furrowed before deciding to speak up. I am connected to Vidbori, and uh, I hear his voice and thoughts within my mind, even from this distance. It is an odd sensation, even different from when you stand before his core and get spoken into directly, he tries to explain, taking his time to find the words. Miriam listens with rapt attention, sufficiently distracted from her work. Sylvia, on the other hand, can continue her work easily enough while listening intently, as she occasionally glances over at Zassiter while he speaks. Zassiter takes a moment to consider his words, his tongue trailing over his pristine white teeth before continuing. It's truly an odd sensation to know that your mind is no longer solely your own, yet comforting to know that in your most desperate moments, you can reach out with a mere thought and find support of another. He considered with a soft smile, before tossing another glance up to the mountain. Though this connection certainly works both ways. In the last couple of days since Whitmore titled me as Shepherd, I could occasionally gotten flashes of moments of memories of not my own. Thankfully, they come to me as waking dreams, so distinct from my memories that they're here and gone within moments of arriving and only leave lingering impressions. At this, Sassita pauses as he runs his fingers through his earthly brown hair, which is now so much healthier and thicker compared to a week ago. Now, even Sylvia is sufficiently intrigued to stop her work, fully listening to Zasita's words. In fact, a few of the others decided to come by and sit around the shepherd to hear him speak. In these flashes, I see through the eyes of a man in a world not our own. One that has ended, dying and decay with the rot of the undead. The man carries a burden of guilt, disgust and despair in himself, for himself, and for his future. He leaves countless corpses in his wake, mostly that of the undead, sometimes that of beasts in the shape of people, and far too often the bodies of friends and loved ones who merely couldn't follow him in the path he forges for himself. Zassiter sighs softly as he shakes his head, chattering as the intense emotions in those glimpses of memory surface vividly for him, I think that Mori is a benevolent being, though he carries burdens and damages the likes of which we probably won't fully understand. At this, the members of the community discuss amongst themselves, though Sylvia decides to speak up. Can we trust Vidmori? If he's as damaged as you say, what if he snaps and decides just to kill us all? The other is in group murmur, some more at that notion. Zassadin nods in understanding at that casting a glance back up at the mountain before looking to the others once more. I know this is little consolation, but I do trust Vidmori. He had no real reason to take us in, and if he wanted us all dead, I'm sure that we would have done so while we were still in back of the cards. If for nothing else, please trust me when I say that we can trust Vidmori. Sylvia was suitably mollified by this, giving a simple nod as she returned to her needlework. The others were appeased by Zassiter's words as well, as they nodded and gave their pieces on stating how they trusted Zassiter's judgment. 
Just then, the group that went to the river had returned to the camp, chatting animatedly while their arms were laden with many supplies they could forage from the woods, along with some fresh fish from the river itself. The group of kids began to scatter. Those with parents went up to greet them. In contrast, the few orphans went to the remaining adults who decided to become their guardians, and they too were welcomed with equal enthusiasm as the children were blood-related parents. Sylvia was still somewhat distracted with finishing Org's new shirt that she hadn't realized her daughter hadn't come to join her just yet. Setting the shirt down in her lap, she begins to actively scan around before looking to Isak, her gaze narrowing as Miriam measures his waist again. Isak, where is Og? Isak, for his part, was surprised that Sylvia was talking to him suddenly and quirked her brow. Huh? Uh, what do you... Uh, what do you mean? Looking at the dwarven woman, Morfor looking around to scan the camp himself while Miriam stepped away, having gotten the measurements she needed. Starting to get understandably freaked out, she stood and marched right up to Isak, grabbing him by the chest of his shirt and dragging him down to eye level. I said, where is my daughter? You, Woody, and Verista were supposed to be watching her. She raised her voice, shaking the startled teen as she quickly lost the little composure she was holding on to. Before Zassiter could step forward and try to break this up, he suddenly felt that Maury's voice echoing in his mind. Hey, uh, Zassiter, j- just letting you know that one of my guys found a little girl. Apparently, she got washed away by the current of the river. Don't worry, uh, she's fine and currently on her way. It'll just be a bit since she was ki- kind of went far out. Zassiter sighed softly to himself, in relief, before thinking back to Maury. Your timing is impeccable, oh great one. Many thanks for your vigilance over our precious young. It takes a moment for Vidmori to respond, but he speaks up soon enough. Yeah, no worries. I said you all would be in my care, and I intend to commit to that. With that, Zassiter could feel the connection wane as Vidmori's attention went elsewhere. Moving forward, he grabs Sylvia by the shoulder to get her to release the poor teen, though she lashes out, her fists striking like clubs against the copper scales. It hurts, but he tanks the hit as he gets her attention. Sylvia! Sylvia! It's okay. Org is fine. But Maury told me she's with one of his vassals and currently on their way. Sylvia, for her part, looks remorseful for having actually hit Sassiter, speaking in a softer tone. Uh, oh, okay. Thank you. Sassiter merely smiled kindly as he pulled away before looking at Isak and then to Woody and Xanatel as they approached during the commotion. It seems that she fell in the river and was washed away, and it probably happened too quickly for anyone to have seen her go. However, you must reflect on your failures today and be more vigilant over those in your care. Zassiter instructed with the firm understanding and compassion of a man his age would have cultivated over the years. Isak taking it especially hard since he failed to even notice the girl missing. Not that Xanatul or Woody didn't look equally abashed by Zassiter's words. Now, uh, let's get back to work. There's still plenty to do to make this place livable, Zassiter instructed the group, nodding in understanding as they broke apart and went their own ways. Sylvia and Miriam got back to making clothes, though Sylvia's hand is unsteady, anxiety plain on her usually calm expression. End of chapter. I would quickly like to thank the T5 channel members and Patreons. Casper Arnholtz, Cam Maxwell, Barky, Lord Azrakal, It's Difficult to Pronounce, Dragzoon, WRE, Holly's Sister, Arcadian. Thank you very much.